0: Welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. I believe in me, and that's what's important. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we are getting started in our episodes on North American cryptids.
1: I am looking forward to diving into these North American cryptids. Something we will discuss as we discuss this week's episode and other ones too while a lot of D&D is very obviously based in European myth and lore, their fairies and their monsters seem to be fairly black and white. They're either hostile or they're beneficial. And that's pretty much it. Where the North American cryptids tend to be a little bit more gray. Everyone says they're scary, but when you break down their myths, how often they actually cause harm or malicious activity towards people seems to be rather less. And so I think this gives us a lot more opportunity to kind of work and play with
0: yeah the themes that I seem to get from most of the North American cryptids is that they tend to fall into the live and let live sort of category if you
1: don't start none there won't be none I get that yeah and I don't know if that says something great about American culture in general Or something terrible, because generally when we mention North American cryptids, most people immediately think, oh my god, terrible monster. So, it says something, I'm just not sure what yet. (laughs) Well,
0: And, of course, that also depends on the cryptid. There are some cryptids that are very much benign, that are just not going to do much of anything. There are some that are openly malicious and and basically hostile. hostile. Yeah, it's just outright hostile, and so it runs the whole gamut.
1: It really does, but by and large, it seems most of our North American cryptids seem to fall along the neutral path.
0: Yeah, I can grok with that. That does seem to be a pretty standard safe bet for most of these. Not all. Most. So today, this episode is probably going to be a little bit on the shorter side. We thought that we were going to have a much larger episode whenever we sat down to do this. And then as we researched, we realized that we may have drawn a little bit thin,
1: deceptively shallow, I think we can call it. Lore wise, yes. But also, again, because of where we're going to start, and I know we're teasing this real hard. There is a lot of opportunity, so I think this gives us a great chance to kind of flex our world building and our homebrew muscles a bit a little bit more than we have in some of our previous episodes. And so I'm kind of excited to see this. So do you want to go ahead and peel back the curtain or? Yeah. So this week
0: we are going to be talking about Bigfoot and all of the other similar cryptids that can be lumped into the Bigfoot
1: category. So going through, I've got Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Skunk Ape, Mountain Man, Wood Elder, Yeti, Monster of the Lake, I believe was one of them as well. So
0: there's a few more. You know, there's the Alabama White Fang. There's one that's actually from our neck of the woods, which is the Wood Booger.
1: <laughs> wood Booger. I love that. <laughs> there's the
0: Missouri Monster or Momo for Momo, short.
1: Yes, which is um, a great
0: name. And I'm trying to remember the one, there's one, of course, I can't find my list that I wrote all this down. But there's one from Upper Midwest, where it's basically a Sasquatch in a top hat.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love that.
0: And I can't
1: for the life of me remember what it was. Not important. No, not terribly. But anyway, we go through and there seems to be a common thread with all of these. These are all fairly reclusive, fairly elusive generally large humanoid either large man-sized or even larger probably you know ranging into the realm of giant perhaps but again visible sightings tend to be few and far between but tracks left behind abound and this gives us a lot to work with not so much and throwing a monster on the table which we can do when we will get to in a while, I am sure. But this does allow us to build up a lore in story arcs and hooks, particularly early to mid-level, I think would be really well for these. Yeah, I can
0: definitely agree with that point. So yeah, they tend to vary in size from roughly six feet tall to up to... I think the biggest one I was seeing was somewhere between 12 and 15 feet tall, you know, which is... It's substantial, but most of them fall into like that eight, nine foot
1: range. Right. So, I mean, honestly, about the size of your Goliath. Yeah. Possibly an orc or half orc. So, I mean, these are still medium to large size creatures, which I like. Going through these as we were looking at lore, because, again, these are that large, elusive humanoid. And depending on what sources you use for their temperament, generally people will want to say that they are these fierce things. But then when you actually look at, I'm using air quotes here, recorded encounters, you know, stories, fable, things like this, people will say they were scared of the thing, but very rarely do they outright attack unless something was happening to provoke them. I mean, if you're out there with a gun loaded for bear, they tend to be a little bit more hostile, but if you're walking out on your own, they tend to just kind of shuffle around. Yeah. So what I see like Bigfoot on a table, if we were going to bring this into a game, I would see this definitely as an NPC, perhaps more than a monster. But definitely I would build this up as your characters came into a town and start building up the lore that your town folks could be terrified of this thing. And then really, however your party reacts as they go out scouting or looking for or trying to resolve this issue from the townsfolk will determine how this creature will react to your party. So if they are going out purely inquisitive to look around. It might be neutral. It might even be friendly versus if they're going through with pitchforks and torches, then they've got a good little fight on their hands. Right.
0: And it it reminds me there's a quest sort of chain in one of the Red Dead Redemption games. I can't remember if it's one or two where they're told that there's the Bigfoot out and that it goes and it kills the cattle and it eats your children and all that. And so the quest is you're going through and you're shooting Sasquatches. And then the last one in the quest line ends up confronting you and it speaks English and it's telling you that, you know, no, everything that you've been told is wrong. You know, there are peaceful people that eat berries and they don't harm anything and it's just because they're different and that is definitely the tack that i would take if i'm introducing these into a game is that you're going to play into that human fear of the unknown and the different
1: absolutely yeah i love that and again too one thing i am excited here doing some of our north american cryptids is again a lot of our lore tends to be eurocentric and D and a lot of tabletop games and so if you were wanting to do a more Old West or more either North American or colonial America type theme, these fit. And within the American psyche, that fear of the other, unfortunately, tends to be quite strong with us. By and large, we can generally mean well, but that is a noted hurdle in our history. The other, I guess, otherism is what we can call Othering, it. Othering, yeah. Yeah. Yeah this too another way to bring this up i mean and again as we want to break this down as we want to try to build up our sasquatch or our bigfoot however we want to do this talking about lore i think going in and expecting some sort of bestial creature and then perhaps finding this would be a great lead into a circle or a grove of druids because druids and a wild shape would fit this description perfectly yeah
0: yeah and going into other media depictions of the Bigfoot, the character of River Shoulders from the Dresden Files. He's one of my favorite characters. I can see that. I mean, because he is a Bigfoot in a three-piece suit with a top hat. This is why Ian likes A monocle, me. right? Does he have a monocle? <laughs> I think he has a monocle. No, he has spectacles. Oh, spectacles, that's right. Yes. But basically, he's a Sasquatch, and he's not part of the white council but he is affiliated loosely with the white council and he's able to tap into a very primal natural sort of magic
1: yeah and again he's one of the forest vote yeah versus who was the opposite of river soldiers i'm blanking on his yeah
0: name. i can't remember either it's the one where they did the raid on the vault of hades
1: yes we'll look it up later and that kind of does fit because. There is this history or this thought of these largely bestial and aggressive primal creatures. And you could break your hominids, I guess we want to use in general, your Sasquatches, your your Bigfoots. You can separate them into these groups as well and make varying factions. Because even within lore, they seem to have at least a human type intelligence. You know, again, while they're not sitting there making tools, they are very at-home in the forests, in the wilds they're not bestial in their intelligence they seem to be clever they seem to have a little bit of wit and craftiness with their evasion and the way they avoid people as well and so having i don't want to say primal i guess primal is better than primitive i'm not sure which word exactly i want but closer tied to the earth peoples that are outside of civilization they are going to need this especially if they want to stay hidden Uh, having a good amount of magic available to them would fit well. And again, this is why I get that really strong druid tie-in. I would say that they would probably have somewhere between a 9 and 11 intelligence score, but they would probably be fairly high on a wisdom score. Again, having that awareness of natural surroundings, of earth magic, the ability to resist being swayed, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I would put them, like I said, higher up probably somewhere between a 14 to a 17 on a wisdom score, I would think. Yeah,
0: I can see that. And, of course, you're going to have different grades because, you know, the older ones will have acquired more wisdom through age. And so that is something to also take into account. What would be the natural lifespan of such a creature? Would it be roughly human lifespan? Would it be much longer? Would it be much shorter? I don't know. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, it's tempting to give them a much longer lifespan because it's sort of the running joke that humans are the shortest lived of the sapient humanoids. And so the short life is what spawns their industry and their drive and their willingness to do all sorts of things
1: to, you know, leave their mark. I get that personally. I would be inclined to give them slightly longer than normal lifespan. Yeah, but not substantially. Not substantially, no. I think something probably like 120 to 150 years would make sense. Yeah. I think to go through this, let us break down what we could find and tell of the temperament of your average Bigfoot. So, your average Bigfoot, again, we we talked about size. So, yeah, they're going to be somewhere between 6 to 12 to 15 feet. So again, probably call that six to 12 feet would make more sense. Again, given the foot impressions and things like that, we have like the pictures. Again, we have that they're reclusive. Their weight, these are fairly muscular critters. So their weight's going to be somewhere between 300 and 500 pounds. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. We don't have any evidence of a living settlement. We've not found bones or funeral pyres or things like that. And this is why I'm inclined to go ahead and give them that longer lifespan. Because if they are living longer on average, they are not interning or whatever they are doing for their dead. So it's not there to find. Again, temperament can range. I would call these true neutral, but they tend to be evasive unless provoked, in which case there is rumor of their being very strong and brutal and aggressive Instances, but I think that seems to be the exception rather than the rule.
0: Yeah, but that goes for most large mammals. You know, a bear is likely to leave you alone unless you go and start messing with it.
1: Yeah, and this is why I love moose, because they get addicted to salt, and then they expect salt. And if you don't give them salt, you have not paid proper tribute. And then they'll wreck your car. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's just Tuesday. <laughs> That being said, the Bigfoot, while they are about, and they would seem to have humans beat one-on-one physically, agility, and prowess, they don't seem to step out. They are not trying to colonize or invade or subjugate mankind either. So again, I would see these things living, like I said, maybe like a small druid cove or possibly individual hermits would be an interesting way to do this. Maybe you're a wise man on the mountain has a form that they can shift into. Wise man slash woman on the mountain has a form that they can shift into this other form that is your Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, and I could also take a lot of inspiration from other primates, the sort of family structures that you see in gorillas or chimpanzees or certain types of monkeys. where Like a
1: baboon troop or something like that? Yeah, Yeah, sort of like that. that.
0: So, basically, they group together as a family unit, and they will move from feeding ground to feeding ground, and they'll have a sort of a territory that this tribe, this clan, will adhere to. And the young, whenever they get old enough, they'll move off and join another group to spread out the genetics.
1: No, I like that. So I think our next two steps for this, because I said we've kind of covered that is the lore of the Bigfoot is you're out in the wild and you see this thing that's not quite a human. It's not quite an animal. Again, if you don't go poking it with a stick or threaten it, it'll probably leave you alone. If you sit there and you tried to raise your hunting rifle, or your pitchfork at it, it would break it over your head. Largely would let the person escape because there seems to be stories of people fleeing from these things in which case it would seem very easy for them to dispatch whatever their annoyance is. So the fact that they are leaving survivors to telltales also, I think, gives a good clue of their mentality as well.
0: Yeah, because a Sasquatch would have no problem doing to an average human what the Hulk did to Loki in Avengers. <laughs> exactly. And that would end much worse for the human than it did for Loki, because yes. humans are not little <laughs> God beings.
1: You know? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think what we can do is taking this, we'll do a quick stat block for a Bigfoot. We might do a couple generations of one. And then I have an idea or two, and maybe it's time to revisit Vertigree.
0: Maybe, but I did want to take a minute because there is one of these variants that does appear in D&D monster manuals. Oh, which edition? From second edition on. Ah. And it's the Yeti. Okay. The Yeti is a mainstay. It got kind of relegated to a peripheral book in third edition 3.5, but we'll gloss over that. So the Yeti, it was probably in first edition, but it is definitely in second edition. And one of the things that's really interesting about this second edition Yeti is that it's fur- Absorbs heat and so what it would do is it would dig a shallow pit in some snow and it would bury itself in the snow And then when something would come by it would ambush attack them out of the snow and it would grab them and pull them into a big bear hug squeeze and the heat absorbing properties of its fur would literally sap the body heat out of the thing that it was holding
1: That's impressive. I do like that as an ability. That is kind of awesome.
0: And so that was the big thing. Other than that, it's just effectively a giant ape man that lives in the snow. That was the one thing in second edition that was a really important detail, a really unique detail. Okay. They are of average intelligence. So they're in the eight to 10 intelligence range. They're immune to cold, they are invisible in snow and ice. Understandable, but they have vulnerability to fire because of their fur, it's absorbing heat. And so, if you put fire on that,
1: it's going to absorb more. These are feeling kind of like the Skyrim trolls,
0: yeah. They do feel a lot like the frost trolls from Skyrim in third edition. They're in the frostburn supplement. Which was a supplement specifically for running sort of arctic and snowbound adventures. Basically, they have the same sort of thing where, you know, if they hit you with their claw attack, they can turn that into a grapple. And if they grapple you, they can pull you into a constrict. And while you're being constricted, you take extra cold damage as their fur is absorbing your body heat.
1: Okay. And again, that is a nice ability to have for the yetis i'm not sure how we could bring that across into a temperate climate but that is definitely a very unique ability that i i am a fan of and i want to steal for something
0: yeah they ended up removing that ability per se in fourth edition of course they did (laughs) instead they just started to throw cold damage onto their claws and allow them to grapple Okay. Basically they just moved where the cold damage came from. Came from. They moved it from being a you have to be grappled in order to take the cold damage to a if it hits you you take cold damage.
1: I kinda want to make it frost damage on a bite attack just to call it frostbite.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. And they also have in fourth edition various howls and such where, you know, because another aspect From the lore side is that when you hear the wind howling in the mountains through the snow and it almost sounds like there's something out there, that's because there is something out there, and that is the cry of the yeti. Okay. And so in 4th edition, they added these sort of vocal attacks that would deal psychic damage and would impart penalties on the creatures that would fail their saving throws and such
1: I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, I would give them an option to have a fear effect, perhaps. But what I do like is I like that communication. And I would say that if you had a ranger or a druid or possibly even a rogue in your party that was proficient with their nature checks or animal handling, even that maybe they could identify that not as a completely native to the animal species sound and use that as a check to see if they know that something else is out there.
0: In 5th edition, they added a couple of additional things. Now they actually have the trait Fear of Fire, to where if you hit them with fire, they're not vulnerable to it, but if you hit them with it, they have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the end of their next round.
1: I could see that, and I could even see that branching into you know the North American Sasquatch or Bigfoot, especially if they're largely a forest-dwelling creature because fire could spread so very quickly that they would have that want to flee from it.
0: And if you take into account the area where the Sasquatch stories take place, they're in the big western forests. Right. You know, the big western cedar and the redwood and the sequoia forests. So these are places where fire is a very critical thing for the forest, and something that happens... Or used to happen fairly regularly, and it because it's not happening regularly is why we're having all of the massive wildfires that we have now. Yeah.
1: Because they're not being control burned. I can give you a wonderful visual representation of what this looks like. If you've grown up in an urban setting, so you've not seen these forests, or even if you've grown up on the East Coast where the trees are a good deal smaller and not necessarily quite as dense in the canopy as they are on the West Coast. I grew up in Central California. I have an aunt and uncle that grew up on the coastal mountain ranges between Oregon and California. In fact, this is where they did filming for Return of the Jedi. The forest planet indoor was filmed fairly close to their property. So if you kind of want to have the idea of what kind of terrain the Sasquatch myth and lore comes from, it's indoor. Yes. So again, you have those tall ferns. You've got the thick, very large trees. The undergrowth is fairly dense with plants and things like that as well. So if you've seen Return of the Jedi, think that kind of biome. That's what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah. But with the fifth edition Yeti, they also have an ability which is very similar to some of the things that we had in our last episode. It has a chilling gaze. Ooh, a good call. So where if you can see it and it can see you, it can, as an action, force you to make a con save. Okay. And if you fail, you take 3d6 cold damage
1: and you're paralyzed for a minute. I like this, and going with our elusive nature of our Bigfoots, Bigfeet, Bigfeeties, with the elusive nature of our Sasquatches, again, this would be if you came upon them unawares or if they felt threatened. I could see this being a first line of defense. If you fail, yeah, you're going to take some cold damage. It's not going to be lethal. And by the time you recover and you gain your ability to react again, they are long since gone.
0: Right. Now, in both third edition and fifth edition, there was an upgraded version where I think that they're just double dipping here. they called the Abominable Yeti.
1: Yeah, that's because you had to have the Yeti and then there's the Abominable Snowman. And I always grew up with the terms being interchangeable. Yeah, me too. Within the culture along the Himalayas. There may be a difference. I'm not certain. If someone knows, please feel free to reach out. You know, you can reach us on our Discord or email us. I would love to know if there is a cultural difference between the Abominable Snowman and the Yeti.
0: So, the Abominable Yeti is a much higher CR. We're going from a CR3 to a CR9. The Chilling Gaze deals double damage and has a much higher DC, and it also has a cold breath. Okay, recharge six that deals 10 D8 damage in a 30 foot cone. So that's almost on
1: par with an adult white dragon. I was going to say and thinking about this a little bit more while it's a bit of a double dip, I could kind of see this, too. Again, you have your yetis and they have their range or their region they claim as their own and they're trying to avoid people and they're trying to live life and people keep pushing in or people think that, hey, we're going to hunt these things. Yeah, maybe they bring out the brute squad.
0: Or I mean, even going a slightly different way, if you wanted to have your Yetis be like a nomadic group that lives up away from civilization as a species, they don't get along with the concept of destroying nature to build civilization. they very, it may be that that's their perspective. It may just be that they lack the sapience to really comprehend how to do that i like the first choice better i do too because it allows you to have a complete society that is not a civilization
1: yes i do enjoy that and maybe they take industrialization and the clearing of land as an absolute affront kind of like the ints with isengard and you know the two towers and so they see you tearing up their homeland and it's like the fuck
0: (laughs) yeah And then I would almost say that these abominable Yetis, they're almost a more primal version of that. Something that exists even outside of that society. Okay. These are individuals that, these are the preppers of the Yetis.
1: (laughs) Okay, I can see that, yeah.
0: Live out on their own. And, you know, these could be, rather than being elusive, be openly hostile and aggressive.
1: Oh, I like that. And again, this makes them not so single faceted. You're starting to get some facets and some depth to this Yeti slash Squatch Bigfoot culture, which again, I think every character and every instance of race or class needs. And it's something that D&D and Wizards are pushing a bit more for, which I'm happy about.
0: Yeah. And it could also be a thing where maybe they have done something taboo to the Yeti society as a whole and have been cast of
1: the society yes i love it yeti pariahs
0: yeah i'm getting a very gold sort of vibe off of
1: that yes i love it to pull in our warcraft lore i love it yes i am a huge fan of that and again, as we build our Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, I'm not sure which one we want to call it, but we can actually definitely borrow from this fairly easily to build that up. And I think we should.
0: Yeah. Because I can see this being one of those things where, because there is a para elemental plane of ice. Right. And so there are very powerful elementals within that plane. And these sort of areas where they are would be the areas where the veil between the material plane and the para-elemental plane of ice would be the thinnest. And so that would be a thing where it would be much easier for these entities to reach through and influence a creature on the material plane side
1: of that. And they could almost be like warlocks. I was going to say, are we going to have elemental summoners? I don't see why not. I am loving these. You just made me <laughs> happy.
0: <laughs> especially if we're tying into this whole Bigfoots as a broad category are individuals who, because of how closely they live with nature, they have a much more visceral tie to natural magics, to elemental magics. They would be an appropriate conduit for that sort of
1: elemental binding absolutely so do you want to start trying to write something up and seeing what we can come up with yeah sure let's see what we got all right so we talked we have size we have weight yeah and we have alignment mm-hmm. we hadn't talked about where do you think you want to throw one of these on strength score they're very obviously stronger than your everyday pc or even your human npc
0: well i mean we can use the yeti stat block as a baseline yeah. if we want to okay Which the CR3 Yeti has a strength of 18.
1: Okay. That was more than I was expecting, but we can go with it.
0: I mean, I would put it at that 17, 18 level personally, because they are inherently superhuman in their strength.
1: Yes. okay. And so
0: they have a dex of 13.
1: I would be inclined to bump that a touch just because they don't leave... Any trace and very little sound in the forest. Right.
0: I would say that I would probably bump that up for a temperate Bigfoot. Yes. I can see them getting away with that for a Yeti because you're out there in the ice and snow. Yeah. And while keeping balance on the ice might be a thing. Most of what they're going to be doing if they're walking around is walking through snowpack.
1: Yeah, they're going to be snowshoeing it, especially with the big feet.
0: Yeah. And so I think that having the strength to basically bulldoze their way through the snow instead of being able to move with agility and grace
1: makes sense. So let's drop that strength maybe to a 16 and bump the agility up. To a 15? Yeah, to a 15. And so you're trading some strength for some agility, but again, you are more nimbly moving through the woods versus trudging through the snow.
0: Yeah. Okay. Con 16, I'm Fire. good with that. Yeah. The Yeti's intelligence is at 8. Uh, I can deal with that. I could deal with that. It seems fine for just a baseline.
1: Yeah, NPC Yeti.
0: Yeah, a generic NPC Yeti. Okay. Or a generic NPC Bigfoot. Because intelligence as portrayed in D&D is much more tied into education and capacity to learn information.
1: Versus wit.
0: Versus intuition.
1: Yeah. No, I like that too. It is much more about being studious. I am okay with that, I think, yes. The wisdom score is 12. We need to jack that that way up. Oh yeah. I'd put wisdom probably to a 14 or 15 as well. Yeah, I would say 14. That's what I was
0: looking at. And then Charisma 7. I could see that. Yeah, I'm inclined to leave it at 7.
1: Okay. Because again, they are kind of frightening. They're not necessarily a pretty thing. They're not drawing people to them. They are in fact reclusive. So they're not using a power of personality to get their way through. The only thing I would question on that again, something along those lines of that cold gaze I mean, we could make that based off of will, because I think if they have any magical abilities, it should be will based, much like a druid or a cleric.
0: You're slipping into your third edition there again.
1: Okay. You're calling it will. Oh, yeah, (laughs) wisdom based, yes. And actually, yeah, going through that wisdom and using that to know what the person is that you could frighten them. Yeah, I'm good with that. So wisdom based, keeping that charisma lower. I'm good with this, yes.
0: So they're proficient with perception and stealth. I would make them experts
1: at stealth I would give them expertise.
0: Well, Yetis have an ability called snow camouflage where they get advantage in snow and ice on stealth checks. Okay. So this would be more of a, they get advantage on stealth checks in their native environment. Environment. So if they're in the woods, they get advantage on stealth checks
1: Fair. Okay. I'm good with that.
0: I'm inclined to give them, uh, as an innate spellcasting ability, the ability to cast Pass Without Trace on themselves? Yes, absolutely. Because that does play into that whole reclusive and elusive nature of the Bigfoot. Yes.
1: I would also be inclined to give them at will talk with plants and talk with animals. Yeah, I can see that. Especially if we're
0: wanting to tie in to having the druidic or even ranger aspect absolutely. on them. See here, they have keen smell, so they have advantage on perception checks that rely on smell. Okay. That works for me. Yep. The other thing they have is the fear of fire. And yes, that would make sense, but I don't know if that's something that I would keep for an actual Bigfoot. I mean, the reason for the Yeti having that is a callback
1: to older version mechanics right well again talking where they come from the denser wood and forest where fire is a large threat fire can spread i wouldn't call it an outright fear of fire but i would say this would be a time where we could do a callback to one of our morale checks you know, or morale check episode so far back ago. But if they take so much fire damage, either make a morale roll or if you're not using a morale system, make them take. In this case, it would be a wisdom check against a fear or even a constitution check that would cause a fear condition that they try to flee. Okay. yeah. Like if they take 25% of their hit points or more from fire damage specifically they will try to disengage and flee. That could work.
0: I'm hesitant to throw that out there because it is kind of a clunky, bulky mechanic. That is
1: fairly clunky, I do agree.
0: Where the fear of fire mechanic is just, until the end of their next turn, they have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks.
1: Okay, I do like that. That could work as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it does put them in that mindset of, okay, the fire has happened. The fire could happen again. I don't want to be here if the fire happens again. Like that. So that could be something that I think I may have talked myself into liking it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I do like this. I would also add this not necessarily in specifically the creature description, but as a DM playing this, they are going to target primarily fire wielders above others.
0: Right. Well, they're also going to they're intelligent, right? Yeah, they have. Human or near human intelligence. They have enough sense to not engage in a combat with a force that is visibly more powerful than them. Yes. So they're going to hold back. They're going to bide their time. They may just watch these guys until they leave the area and then leave them alone and not pursue them at all. That would be well on brand. They didn't bother me. I'm not going to bother them. Right. It's the neutrality that we were talking about
1: earlier. I think if a party is notably hostile, though, I would say these are intelligent enough that accidents happen in the forest all the time.
0: Right. Notably hostile or uh, notably destructive.
1: Yes. And so they should be intelligent enough to lay traps.
0: Intelligent enough to lay traps intelligent enough to ambush stragglers yes absolutely intelligent enough to create distractions Ooh, yes like you know you could have two or three of these guys working together and you have one knock over a tree just outside of the ring of light from your campfire while somebody is on watch while the rest of the party is asleep yeah and so someone might go out and investigate what was going on out there. And then they get
1: ganked by a pair of very angry Bigfoots. No, I I do like that. And I'm thinking, you know, going through this, we've been talking about the Bigfoot. I think our Bigfoot should be our normals and our pariah. We'll go ahead and claim as the Sasquatch.
0: Uh, Potentially. Yeah.
1: Okay. Going through further attacks. Obviously they're going to have a basic claw attacks, Probably, I'd say probably two per round.
0: The Yeti has a multi-attack where they can use their gaze and then multi-attack
1: twice with their claws. Okay, I would say that. I would be willing to give these a choice of one or two of the druidic cantrips as well.
0: I mean, I would also give them a ranged attack where they can just pick up a rock or a tree branch or something oh, like and that and just fuck it. it. Okay. Yeah,
1: give them proficiency with thrown weapons?
0: Yeah, or, or, or you know, just give them an attack that is uh, throw debris or whatever you want to call it, where they just pick up a giant and rock and lob it at somebody. I like that. I think maybe not quite boulder size like a hill giant would
1: have, or
0: maybe just borrow that from the hill giant, you know, just the whole throw boulders thing that they What's have. What's
1: the throw boulder damage? Is that a one d? Eight? It's big. Is it? Big? I think it's like four d ten. Oh, okay. I was thinking something much smaller, something along like a, maybe a one d six or one d eight with a plus plus five to hit.
0: Just give me a minute, and I will look it up. Hill Giant Rock is a three d ten plus five. Oh, wow! But that wow. that's the CR five. There, so we can tone it down to like a. It would be two d ten plus four or two d ten plus three because I have a sixteen strength. Okay. That would be an average of 14 damage. Okay. Yeah, and I would not include that in the multi-attack. That would be a thing where if they wanted to do it, it would be in lieu of making their multi-attack. Perfect. I like that. Um, because the claw is a D6 plus strength. Okay. So that would be, an on average, a 6 damage per claw.
1: No, that fits in real well then.
0: And then for their gaze... Would we want to do like a fear gaze? Yeah, I like that. So maybe you take some second damage and you're frightened of the Sasquatch for one minute or until you save on a fail. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, and then we could also put into that the turn undead sort of mechanic where you have to get a certain distance away from them. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to the, if you can see them, your attacks are made with disadvantage and stuff like that.
1: Okay. No, I love that. There is one more trick I would love to put up their sleeves. I think once a day, they should be allowed to plane shift. Okay. They can shift to that. I'm not sure which plane. It wouldn't be just the elemental plane of Earth, but...
0: Or they could just have etherealness, where they can just shift into the ethereal plane.
1: Ethereal plane would be perfect, yes.
0: Yeah, because that would fit with the theme that you get with a lot of these Bigfoot stories. Yeah, it just disappeared. So it's not actually turning invisible. It's just
1: shifting. It's shifting. It is literally no longer there. I love it. Yeah, no, that is perfect.
0: And that's why the footprints just stop because it's no longer there. there.
1: Yeah, that works. Yeah, no, I am liking how this is forming up a lot.
0: I would almost want to do the etherealness for the Sasquatch for our upgraded pariah version. Okay. And then just have invisibility or greater invisibility for the standard Bigfoot.
1: Okay, that is fair.
0: That would allow for the more malicious intent, if you will, of this pariah version. So the Abominable Yeti also has that cold breath. Okay. Where it's a recharge six and they deal a huge amount of damage.
1: The pariah would have to have, it would have to be a poison breath. It has to be a noxious swamp gas
0: yeah, we can tap into our inner skunk ape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and give him a poison breath. Okay. Yeah, that works. Yeah. So another option aside from the whole breakdown that we just did, that I was thinking about whenever I was contemplating how would I portray a Bigfoot in a D anD D context. I would probably personally start with a bugbear and, build, and build out from there. Okay. I would use the bugbear as the bones for it, and then expand from there. Because they have the longer reach, they have the proficiency with stealth, all of that
1: aspect. That's feasible. I really do like what we had formed up though. It seems to fit, it fits the lore well, it fits thematically. I think it's feeling balanced, it doesn't feel too broken. And again, you're not going to come across a huge troop of these. They're going to be fairly few and limited in number.
0: I think it was in third edition. The uh, organization was solitary or
1: group 3 to 10. That makes perfect sense.
0: In second edition, number appearing is 1 to 6. So it's a D6.
1: Okay. And so again, I think... Having this creature as we've built it up, building a storyline for these, your people come to town and, you know, the people are in their fervor because there is a thing out there. With this, you can build up any kind of rumor mill you want. They're wrestling cattle. They've stolen someone. They've kidnapped something. They've killed horses. They are some sort of unknown military force that people are unaware of. Honestly, I think building something up kind of like a Scooby-Doo episode almost would be a perfect fit for this. Yeah. Especially depending on how your party wants to go out to see if they are hostile or not. Perhaps maybe they can go out and find that This group of Bigfoot has a grievance with a Sasquatch. Maybe there's both out there. Maybe there is just a Sasquatch. Maybe it is a group of Bigfoot and someone within the town has a vested interest on driving them out. And so they have started this rumor mill. So if your party deals with them peaceably or intelligently, now you have some fairly useful and Probably semi-powerful NPCs that your party can come back and relate to later, especially if you are dealing more with treks through the wilds. And another
0: thing, if we are establishing that these Bigfoots have a society, they don't necessarily have a civilization, they don't build structures, they don't have they don't have that permanency right. of civilization, but they do still have a society. They do still have a culture to themselves you could have a thing where there's this sasquatch that has started getting too close to this human settlement and this group of bigfoots has come in after it because they're like no we have to deal with this thing before it reveals our existence to the outside world We have to deal with it. We have to take it out and dispose of it. Okay. And so now you have somebody in town who has seen the Sasquatch, who has seen the Sasquatch come in and do the terrible things that it's doing, and it got away. That witness is explaining exactly what these things look like. A Bigfoot and a Sasquatch look the same because they're basically the same thing. Yeah. And so now... You know that there's a hostile one out there. You don't know necessarily that there's a group of potentially friendly ones that are out there also looking for that hostile one because they also
1: want to deal with it. No, I like that. I would build one more layer on top of this, I think, is that you have, let's say, an adolescent or a young adult of the Bigfoot that is curious about this human settlement. So he has been clipping around. And so now we'll say the elders worried about this younger Bigfoot being corrupted in a sense and wanting to build these things. And therefore, because he's on the outside of this community, he is being tempted by a Sasquatch. And now at some point with between your party's interaction and however this NPC develops, they will make a choice.
0: Right. And I can see this younger Bigfoot is with this group, sort of in the concept of like with the Predators. Okay. The Yautja from the Predator movies. Okay. Where they have to be blooded. There's a veteran that takes them out on their first hunt. Yeah. And so this is sort of their first hunt. Okay. And that would add into that element of the group is like, we are here to deal with this. Sasquatch that is terrorizing this human settlement and about to bring the wrath of the humans down on all of us. Yeah. There's the Sasquatch that's like, I'm here because you guys kicked me out, but I have a whole lot of power and I can show you, youngster, how to handle this. Yes. And then the humans are all like, kill them all and let God sort them out. God will know his own. Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) potentially apocryphal crusader story of was it the siege of jerusalem where somebody one of the popes or one of the bishops said just kill them all god will know his own so yeah that sort of mentality that could be the cluster of stuff that the party is dropped into the middle of
1: yeah no i like that that again has a great potential to be either a really strong i don't know if that'd be a one-off but that could probably be a good two or three session arc that would be a lot of fun to play
0: yeah that would make a good arc in a story
1: and two this would also be a good intermediary arc if you need to introduce characters into a new location and you're trying to, like, they've just moved in. Okay, what are they doing? That's a great hook. Now you can start explaining groups and people, and the players can start getting a feeling of their morals and values and things like that. Elsewise, it could be a draw that they heard there's this thing, so you draw them to a new area, and still you can build these factions up around, dealing with this particular threat, as well as other issues that may arise within your story.
0: Yeah, or, you know, this could be a group of adventurers from a city in the region. And because this settlement is out on the edge of the holdings of the ruler of this city, the town sends somebody into the capital to petition for aid. And the party is the group of people that are hired to go out and deal with the problem.
1: No, I like that. That is also a very easy intro to this.
0: Yeah, that is something that If you start off your game in this capital city and you have your party established a reputation for themselves, maybe get through tier one place. So they're all now level four, level five, somewhere in there on that transition from tier one to tier two. So now they have that local hero sort of vibe going on where, you know, the people in town who know who to go to to get something done, they know your name.
1: Yes. I think we created something good here. I'm liking how it's looking. It feels good. I think we've got a nice little package set up here with this one.
0: Yeah, we've got a creature. We've got a monstrous version of that creature. We've got adventure hooks. We've got lore hooks. I feel good with what we we did today. All right. I think that brings us to the end of Bigfoot. We're not entirely sure what we're going to be doing next. So if you have any recommendations for something that you would like us to cover next... Send that to us via email undercommon taste at gmail.com or as a direct message through a Twitter account at Uct Homebrew. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, and Mastodon at undercommon taste. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash undercommon taste. Still working on trying to get stuff together to actually update it, because I haven't posted anything in forever, and I apologize. We have a niche store undercommentaste.itch.io where you can find our liminal horror adventure beneath the lake or my solo rpg forever home and we have a discord you can find a link to that discord in the show notes and we would love for you to come over and chat with us come
1: over and talk to us about cryptids yeah absolutely
0: we would love for you to come over and strike up a conversation about what cryptids you want us to talk about
1: yeah we'd love to hear what you can bring to the table for us this is your first time listening to us we thank you you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, give us a rate, a review, and a comment. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what you want to hear more of.
0: Stay safe, everyone, and we will see you all in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under Common Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marykroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycroll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash David Sutherland or on Instagram.com slash underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks. So stay safe and we'll
1: see you then.